Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vish Khanna's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Douglas Andrew McCombs is an exceptionally talented and influential music composer, improviser, and multi-instrumentalist based in the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. Primarily known as an inventive electric guitarist and bassist, beyond collaborating with the likes of Yola Tango, Daniel Lanois, Stereolab, Buck 65, Meg Baird, Bonnie Prince Billy, and Tom Zay, among countless others, McCombs is a core or performing member in bands like Tortoise, 11th Dream Day, Brokeback, The Sea and Cake, and a new venture called Black Duck. On October 21st, 2022, Thrill Jockey Records released McCombs' first solo album under his own name, which is titled 
after a Russian work visa that he obtained as a musician. It's called VMAC Combs Douglas 6NDR7, and it prompted Doug and I to reconnect for a wide-ranging talk about his life in Illinois and how he almost left the state recently. Updates on recent tortoise recording sessions and plans. My interest in one day interviewing his tortoise bandmate, Dan Bitney. How and when he got into music like Devo and punk, at least partially because of Saturday Night Live. How his solo record came about. How he made a lot of it with an app on his telephone. And contributions to it from the likes of Sam Precop, John Convertino, and James Elkington. Playing David Pajo's old parts, or learning those of his current bandmates in Tortoise, his connections to the late filmmaker John Hughes, and his memory of seeing The Breakfast Club at a movie theater when it first came out, insights about his new trio Black Duck and a potential 2023 release, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in the wonderful city of Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in the equally wonderful city of Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 736 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Douglas Andrew McCombs with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Doug, how's it going? Hi, Vish, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm uh, doing just fine. Where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm in Chicago, at home. Nice. How are things going in Chicago for you today? You know, I moved to uh, Alberta from Ontario, so our my weather in Ontario was sort of similar to Illinois. It's cold and snowy here, but I've, hear, I, I've heard tell it's unseasonably warm in your part of the world. Is that, the, is that true? I just cooled down today. Oh, okay. All right. So otherwise, it was unseasonably yeah, it was unseasonably warm until <laughs> until this morning. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like to- love talking about the weather, but it's just the one thing that is uh, hitting me now because it's quite cold here, like ice and snow, and my friends are in shorts and t-shirts in Ontario. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's actually quite troubling when I think about it because you you get that you get the like, yeah, this is nice, this is great, but then when you think about it, you're like, this is probably not good that it's so hot. In November. No, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't think. When I, did you? When did you move? De- December thirtieth, twenty nineteen. I want to say was the flight, final flight, ah. uh, and then the pandemic happened, 
So I felt very... Just in time for the pandemic. Very weird to move and expect to meet new people and experience new things. And then it has been a slow trickle of that. Like every once in a while, it feels okay to do it. But anyway, it's a little sad, but we're doing okay. We're doing fine. We're doing fine. You've been, yeah. in, you've been in Chicago forever. How long have you been in Chicago, Doug? Forever. I moved here in 1980. Yeah. Oh, that's the year I got out of high school. And where was that again? Where was your high school? I grew up near Peoria, Illinois, which is not that far from Chicago. Mm. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah. So you're you're an Illinois person. That's obvious. Yes. Some of your colleagues, certainly in the band uh, Tortoise, have left Chicago now. Uh, have you yes. ever had an impulse to... It doesn't sound like... I think I know the answer to this, but have you ever had the impulse to try somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. Especially touring so much, you see so many places that seem appealing. And um, there was a period of time when my wife and I thought we would eventually move to the Southwest somewhere. Mm. But now, I don't know, we're rethinking that. We're thinking about staying around here. Any thought to why the we're ensconced or not leaving? Why would we leave kind of thing? Where Where is that coming from all of a sudden? Well, we have an affinity for... Tucson, Arizona, and historically we've had a bunch of friends down there, um, and we thought it would be, I don't know, it's a place that we've always really loved, and the thought of moving there now, moving away from this giant body of water during global warming seems less appealing, um, moving to the desert where things just seem to be getting hotter and hotter oh, and hotter. Oh, I see, and, uh, I see. I don't know, it's... It's, you know, it's still a possibility, but I doubt if we're going to do that. Hmm. So it is it is more climate. So I started off making banal weather, weather <laughs> small talk, but it sounds to me like the weather, the climate actually is on your mind. Well, weather is a factor. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a practical decision. We still love the Southwest, but yeah. we're not sure if it's like really advisable to, to leave where we are at the, at this moment. Yeah. Fair enough. You spent uh, some a bit of time. Well, you've been all over the place, uh, obviously. But I know in the last year or so, you spent some time. Uh, I assume in Portland, working on tortoise stuff. Is that right? Did you, did you spend a couple weeks there or something? Yes, yeah. we have been trying to hammer out some sessions to work on a new tortoise album. So far, only two in the last year, mm. and we're trying to make some progress on getting a new album yeah. completed. Yeah. And yeah, John John lives in Portland, so that seems like the most practical place for us all to meet. He's got a studio that he likes there that we can record at and he has his home his home set up where we can eventually mix and do overdubbing and stuff like that. And it just seemed like the most practical most practical space. I only invoke I, yeah. I only invoke it because to my knowledge, uh, again, not I'm just I'm again. You're in a few different projects. Eleventh uh, Dream Day people, I think, are mostly based in Chicago. Still, is that true? Yes, that's true. Yeah, and that's where you are. Uh, the, yes, br- the Brokeback Project is you. So everyone's in Chicago, right? Yes, right. So the tortoise thing is that I only invoke Portland and and that tortoise session because I'd heard about it. But John Herndon. Jeff Parker, I believe, are both in the Los Angeles or California area. Is that is that still the case? 
Yes. And then John McIntyre is uh, north of them. He was in California. He's in Portland. Is it, is Dan, where is, where in the, the, the real meat of this question, Doug, is where in the world is Dan Bittney? That's what we're really getting to. Where, where is Dan right now? <laughs> Dan, Dan's here in Chicago still. Okay. So two of you are holding down the fort. So it yeah. kind of, it wouldn't make, yeah. So moving west, it just seems to me that the tortoise people, three of them anyway, have moved west. So, and that's where your head was kind of at at one point. So there's an allure to the to the West. And there's some Southwestern flavors, I will say, on this beautiful yeah. new record of yours. So there's something about the Southwest that is calling to you specifically. Maybe not Dan Bitney so much. Has Dan or Dan Bitney ever talked about leaving? He has not. Okay. He and his wife have an affinity for Italy, where they go a lot. His wife is an ex-European, and they go there a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they've ever talked about moving there permanently. Okay. But for now, for now he and I are here. He lives less than a mile from me. We're we're in the same hood. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. I had a weird thing happen where um on the show I have like a very modest Patreon and sometimes I post little overtime stuff with the current guests. And sometimes I dig into my um old uh archives of of interviews and somebody I think on the eve of you releasing this new record, said, hey, I noticed on your old college radio show that you talked to Doug McCombs. Can you find that and post it as a Patreon thing? So I found it. I went to a, a hard drive and I found it. So it's from 2010, Doug. You and I talked uh, oh, wow. on that show. Yeah. And uh, I think Tortoise was playing in Toronto and so, and maybe had a record out at the same time, probably. So anyway, you and I had the occasion to talk. And I listen to a bit of it. I try not to, I don't like posting those things that much because I get a little self-conscious because I think I've improved. I, I would like to think I have improved <laughs> a lot uh-huh. <laughs> as an interviewer. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I listen to a bit of it. Oddly enough, in 2010, I says to you, Doug, I says, you know, the only person I haven't, we haven't had on this show that my wife and I do is Dan Bitney. And then, so I, whatever, I posted on the Patreon and the guy, I think he says, Oh, thanks so much. I'm thinking about it. Dan Bidney, on this Creative Control podcast, you've been on before, and Jeff Parker's been on, John McIntyre's oh. been on a few times, uh, John Herndon was on uh, less than about a year ago. Dan Bidney now is the only person who hasn't been on this show. So I, what? How do I get Dan on the show? What, does he does he do a lot of interviews? I mean, he seems very. He follows me on Instagram. He seems very nice. Everything's fine. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I'm bringing this up to you, but I just find it interesting. I still haven't spoken to Dan one on one. Should I? Should I do it? Would it be a great interview? He's often expressed to me that he does not like you. Oh, really? Okay, so that explains it. I did yeah. not realize that at all because he's all often very fervent with the like button on the Instagram, and I try to do. I try to reciprocate. This is a news flash to me that Dan Bitney is actually some sort of uh, sleeper cell guy. He's 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 gaslighting me by liking me. Is that what you're saying? I'm sure he would love to talk to you. He, um, you know, in, in, in Tortoise, we, we share the interview duties yes. quite equally in Tortoise, and I'm sure he would love to talk to you. He is a great speaker. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not, not out of the realm of possibility that I will finally land my white whale in Tortoise 
Dan bit me. Again, it's not. I, it's just a silly thing I'm saying, obviously. I'm sure Dan and I will chat. It's just interesting that it keeps happening. All this to say, you and I have had a long history of speaking. It's nice to have you back on the show. Congratulations yeah. on this uh, new record. Now, I happen to have some intel as to the, let's call it um, eye-catching and somewhat cumbersome title. Um, and I, oh, right. I, I mm-hmm. think that's some, that's one place we should begin just cause, yeah. Can you enunciate or pronounce this title for me? I mean, I guess it's, you know, no, I cannot. I believe it's, it's just my name. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is quite just so people know what I'm talking about. And I've tried to explain this in the introduction by now. It stems from the kind of coding on a visa you had, a work visa. Is that right? Yes, I had a Russian work visa that had my name spelled like three different ways. Like it was in Cyrillic, it was in the form that it is on the record, and then it was in my English, mm. my you know my English, my actual English name. And uh, I always just was really intrigued by that particular spelling of my name with all those V's and K's and yeah numbers and <laughs> I don't know it was interesting to me and um since this is the the first recording that I've made under my own name I wanted to use that I always wanted to do something with it and I see so that's it that's all that's all it is so I appreciate that on 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 that level however the reason I asked you if you could p- perhaps enunciate it is cuz there's going to be people listening that want to call their local record store uh-huh. And ask if they have this record in stock. So if I were to do it, I'd say, hello, I am interested in purchasing the new Douglas Andrew McCombs album, which is called, and this is how I would say it. And you tell me if, if you're okay with this. It's called, uh, V-M-A-K <laughs> eats K-O-M-B-Z less than D-U or Douglas D-U-G-L-A-S more less than signs, I think. And then six N-D-R-7. Yes. Is that or 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 conversely, could I say, "Hi, my name is Vish. Love your record store. I'd like to order the new Douglas Andrew McCombs record. It's called VMac Combs Douglas Six N D R Seven. Is which one would you prefer? The people that they pronounce it or just say the letters? I guess. What well, what do you think? I guess I would just say uh, Douglas Andrew McCombs. <laughs> you would you would up the ante and and apply some sort of brogue or accent to your name as well just to further confuse things. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or I would just say I would just say my I would just say my name, I guess. Yeah. You've been making music. You mentioned moving uh to Chicago uh out of high school in 1980. Yeah. Um how long would you say you've been a sort of public if not professional musician? Well, unlike many of my friends that I found out over the years who started in high school, I didn't actually buy an instrument until I was 18 or 19. I think it was I think I was 19. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Chicago and I started playing and I did some playing around with some people and I was in a few sort of weird avant-garde leaning projects that kind of stemmed out of the Chicago punk scene, but I didn't really start playing in a full-time band until I joined 11th Dream Day in 1985. Right. So I guess that would, that's kind of where I think it started. It was five years of 
trying to find the right people to play with. And eventually that's what it ended up being. 11th dream day. So probably a lot of, um, learning via learning in public, I'm guessing by playing shows, but also learning via your collaborators. Were they kind of, was that like the way you learned to play? If you know what I mean? Yeah. Beyond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I pretty much just started playing. I didn't take any lessons or anything. And a lot of the early things I did was playing with people who needed an extra body to do their weird performances. And Mm. not many of them were, interested in me playing bass they would just hand me an instrument and say play this or play that and it was kind of like more like uh, they weren't really rock bands they were like oh art projects or something Um, and the whole time I was like trying to fine-tune my bass playing by playing along with records and things like that so when I joined 11th Dream Day I was on a steep learning curve because I hadn't really played with people who had songs per se, or, you know, like, and I learned really quickly. They were very patient with me. But. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, Sam Precop and John McIntyre, uh, on the show, your colleagues in the C and cake and tortoise, obviously for those who don't know, mm-hmm. uh, they were on the show to talk about their sons of record. And I think now band name, I'm getting the sense they're going by sons of now, which I don't think was the case when we spoke anyway. They were kind of. I get. I get that sense also. Yeah, I think they've changed things a little bit since we uh, did our chat. But anyway, we ended up having a pretty good uh, talk about this era of Chicago music that you're describing because you guys are mm. of the same vintage and that notion of people handing you instruments and just saying, you know, try something. It seemed to be a hallmark of a very open-ended, open-minded community at the time. Is that your assessment as well? Yeah, sort of. I mean, they're actually both a little younger than me. Oh, okay, and sorry. Yeah. The thing I'm talking about was like Well, yeah, it's it's very similar. Yeah. Especially with Sam. He was like coming from a similar place where he didn't really know how to play anything and somebody was like, "Hey, you want to start a band?" and that 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 kind of thing. McIntyre is much more Yeah, he went um, to he studied. He studied. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. his his playing his playing goes back to being a teenager, you know, like a young a young teenager. Like, yeah, he was drumming. He was drumming by the time he was, you know, whatever, twelve or something. Yeah, and then went to music school. So, but yeah, Sam is Sam definitely came from like a art school sort of thing where it was like, hey, let's start a band kind of thing, and um, here here's a guitar. Right. And you two, or you, the three people in this line of discussion, you, John, and Sam, uh, all thought of as pioneering sort of underground rock musicians. But what I'm describing and what they were describing to me was a scene very much informed by jazz and improvisation. Um, and it seems to me that's, if someone's saying, by the way, and I didn't ask you this, Doug, what were some of the instruments that people ran, seemingly randomly handed you like that you were just like okay like do you remember what can you talk about what they were well i played with this guy early on actually two guys from the uh sort of the the original old school punk scene in chicago Mm. that were branching out into doing some different stuff and the first time i played with them they just said just come to the gig and they handed me this electric guitar that was plugged into like a million pedals oh and just said 
here, this is what you're playing. Then shortly after that, one of them spent about a year building his own instruments. And he was very, he was very influenced by Harry Parch and some avant-garde classical stuff and some Tibetan folk music and things like that. And he had built all of these, for lack of a better term, I guess, percussion instruments, hmm. tuned percussion to his own scale, um, much in the, in the way of Harry Parch. And I started playing some of those instruments. There was like, you know, some tuned mallet drums and some big oil cans and a tuned marimba thing that was in a, his own scale, which I have no idea what it was, but and mm. those were some of the things we played subsequently after the electric version of the band. Right. So, so kind of a, so a, a, that's, a, that's, a wildness, a wild exploration of sound, basically. Yeah. And that was like my only real experience of playing in a band before 11th Dream Day was playing with these two guys. Wow. Well, that's quite, that's quite remarkable. So, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but because you mentioned that you didn't pick up an instrument, I think you said it was the bass until you were 19 or something like that. Is that right? Yes. Right. So before we, I want to get into how the experience you just described possibly informed what you ended up doing as you continued with 11th Dream Day and Tortoise and all the other various projects you've been in. But I didn't, what I didn't do is ask you what the impetus was at 18, 19 to actually pick up the bass, get into music making. What were you kind of into listening as a, as a fan or as a showgoer or what have you? What were you kind of into that spurred you into thinking, I want to take this up myself? I mean, ground zero for me was punk rock, mm. I guess. Like, you know, starting... And also, I was late coming to that. It was probably like 78 or so before I bought my first record and that was a Devo record and I was really, really into Devo and only Devo for like a year or two, um, a year and a half or so. (laughs) And the only records I had were like anything I could find by Devo, which at that time was their first album, a couple official releases of their early bootlegs and like, I don't know, one other thing. Like they had a, 12 inch record that was on stiff records. And so I was only into Devo in high school. And then I started to discover other things that were happening around the time. And in my small town that I lived in, basically what we would do is we would go to the record store and look for records that looked weird and take a chance on them because we thought they were punk rock. And we didn't really read magazines to find these records. We just sort of looked at the covers. And and so then I got into like wire and television and, uh, you know, the gang of four Mm -hmm. and 10 other things. Like I bought an Iggy pop record, not knowing anything about the Stooges and having never heard of the Stooges. I bought like an Iggy pop record, uh, the new values record. Mm -hmm. I had that. I had like, um, few other things of that era and then that kind of just grew i just grew out of that huh so 18 19 something within you is is drawing you to the weirdness yes. the weird the weirder aspects of music did you have a musical childhood was there a lot of music in your house like uh, as a kid no no 
Okay. So uh, my my mom had like um an Elton John's greatest hits record. Hmm. And I did have a Steve Martin record that I bought that was had banjo playing on it, but otherwise it was not <laughs> musical. It was a it was a comedy record, you know. Ah, okay. All right. So you seems to me from what you're telling me anyway that you sort of found your own path. Like do you remember what ex- how you were exposed to Devo in particular and then punk and all that stuff? Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. It was um it was Saturday Night Live. Oh, interesting. In 19 19- their appearance in 1978, I believe. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I was at the age where I was allowed to stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. And, you know, the musical guests, it seemed like every week the musical guest was like Paul Simon or something. Yeah. And I was not drawn to that. But as soon as I saw Devo, I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, like I, that was it for me. Yeah, there's a... There was a remarkable period there where, or have you seen that? It circulated a year or two ago again, and I, I hadn't seen it before. The specials were on. Did you ever see that? Did you see that when it happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Remarkable. So the, okay. So that's funny. Then there's a Steve Martin through line there as well with SNL yeah. and music. Yeah, sure. yeah. So, so you were drawn to the, like I said earlier, the weirder stuff. That's interesting. So I think this explains. Like that entry point into people handing you random instruments and saying do whatever, you had a little bit in your DNA already. The the like this is weird. I can be weird. It's fine. Like you weren't. It wasn't like what the hell are you talking about? You handed me a guitar with pedals. You were like, okay, yeah, this is for you. It might have been somewhat normal. Is that fair or no? I mean, at that point, yes. It, <laughs> it seemed it seemed like, oh well, anything is, you know, by that. By that time, I had had I had a couple years or two or three years under my belt, and I was familiar with lots of unusual music, and it didn't seem that weird to just be handed a guitar and to make noise with it or whatever. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I took us down this somewhat circuitous route is it is astonishing to me. I mean, I asked you when you first thought of yourself as a musician, I guess is what I asked earlier, because it's somewhat astonishing to me to learn... That this record we're we're here to talk about today is your first solo record. That's is that accurate? You don't you didn't make something and just not put it out or something. Like, this is it. This is the first time you ever thought I'm going to do something all on my own. Well, that's not exactly true because the first time I decided I would branch out and do something on my own was um, the early Brokeback. Stuff. Yeah, that's what I was um, thinking about myself. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it, I had decided to choose a band name for it. But there's a couple early seven inches and the first broke back LP. I guess I would consider those to be solo things. Um, there are, you know, the first the first broke back LP has some other people playing on it, but it's kind of me directing it or whatever. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, up to that point, I also had been performing broke back by myself. Like when I would play shows, I would just be me and the bass six and some pedals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this, just the way this has been, well, it's framed this way because there is a distinction. For some reason, this is not a broke back record. This is, this is not only you saying it's a record under my own name. It is under my full and formal name and it is ID'd by a kind of bureaucratic coding 
<laughs> like it, it's yeah. very like almost like you're sorry this is going to sound really weird but it's like a birth thing almost to me that like it's so official seeming right when you get a birth certificate or a passport if you will right for the first time it's like you are in the system you exist and so i don't want to be uh do any do any podcast armchair psychology because it's uh, getting a bit tiresome all of it, but I can't help it uh, a little bit. I like to know why people do things. That's part of the part of what I like to do here. So you see where I'm coming from? Like just as choices you've made yeah. here, you seem to be asserting your identity in a way you haven't before, in a very specific well, a, specific way. Here's the thing: I am more comfortable collaborating with people, mm-hmm. and broke back, for instance has evolved into this thing with currently three other people whose opinions and feedback and also writing I consider important to the group. And it's not, it's not my solo thing, you know, anymore. And it hasn't been for quite a long time. There's been, there was another period of broke back with another collaborator that sort of ran its course. So this new recording, I didn't want it to, be under the name Brokeback specifically for that reason because those guys input is important to me and I enjoy collaborating with them and so this is something different now yeah fair enough interestingly as your first uh, solo record under your own name you're not all by yourself I'm just looking at the the liner notes the credits here you're joined yeah. by John Convertino the drummer from Calexico you're joined by Sam Precop uh, again you're your friend in the sea and cake, and also uh, your uh, collaborator, uh, James Elkington, who is in Brokeback and I believe has also worked with 11th Dream Day, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you've got friends. Yes. Uh, so even though we're solo here, you've got collaborators. Can we talk a little bit about uh, these collaborators, what they brought to the proceedings, how they contributed? Because I gather this is still you driving... Uh, the arrangements and the shape of these things. Plus, there's been a pandemic, so I don't know if you really got together or what have you. Can you talk about uh, how these collaborations came about? Well, possibly the most significant thing is pandemic-related, and it's that John Convertino and Sam Precop's contribution happened over the pandemic, and it was was an information-gathering assignment. (laughs) I was... I'm not like a, I'm not like an avid home recordist and um, I don't really have a home recording setup. And I had sort of put out some feelers with people about how I could work on stuff by myself over the pandemic. I need, you know, and I specifically said, like, is there an idiot proof like recording thing that I could use to record stuff with? And Hmm. John Convertino got back to me and he was like, hey, I'm an idiot too. Check this out. And um, <laughs> and he had gotten this uh, mechanism that you can use to record um, on an app on your phone. And he sent me this recording of some drums that he had played, playing along with a sequence of Sam's. And he said, listen how good this sounds. I recorded this on my phone. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Wait a minute, no like no mics at all? No snare drum mic, no, kick there's drum a, mic? No, there's a little interface that you use to do the input into the app. 
and it oh, has a, it has a mic in it and you can also plug fancier mics into it if you want to hmm. but he he sent me this recording and I was like that sounds great I'm going to get one of those things and when I did get the device the first thing I did when I got it was played that guitar over the thing that he sent me of him playing with Sam and then I liked it so much that I was like thinking we should you know, put it up on Bandcamp or something, or, hey, do you want to just put this up as a special project? And then we never got around to it. Mm. And then I asked if they would let me use it on this record. So that's like the last five minutes of that first tune is like sort of the coda that song leads up to um, mm. is is uh, is that sort of pandemic so, collaboration. Everything done sort of separately, remotely. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So that explains that on on some level. Did you want to talk a little bit about James's contribution? Yeah. Well, then when the idea of making this record came up, in order to do it the way I wanted to do it, which would be casually without buying studio time, I asked James because he has like an he has like a nice home recording setup, and eventually when we got into it it seemed like the one thing needed some extra stuff, like some drumming. Mm. And he played a little synthesizer too. And he recorded the whole thing, excluding the um, the pandemic portion of it. He, he recorded the whole thing and then he um, helped me by adding a few things to that. Right. That okay. Third, that, that third tune. Right. And he's like, well, James, James has been like an incredible collaborator for me um, in Brokeback. He's like, really incredibly musical and really fast with coming up with ideas and parts. And he's also a great writer. And so he's been like a real great collaborator to have for the last 10 years or so. Right. So, okay. This, this, it's, this is interesting to me that this started out as you saying, I'm going to be myself by myself, potentially. Mm-hmm. But you you had to lean on people. It sounds like it was all very organic, but you 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 couldn't quite <laughs> you didn't feel compelled enough to truly be on your own on some level, and that must speak to that collaborative impulse that has been guiding you for you know what what thirty almost forty years, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I always want other people to be involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if it's just a sounding board, someone to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. That's most apparent in Tortoise, for sure. Yeah. Tortoise's strength is the collaborative process. That's our main strength. I mean, everything we do is filtered through five people with great ideas. Well, I'm including myself, but I mean, Mm -hmm. let's say say four other people with great ideas. Everything is filtered through um, that, and it makes Tortoise a better band. And I don't know, that's it's similar with 11th dream day um it's it makes the music better to me it's been interesting in the recent in recent years various tortoise members have have done things a little bit more on their own uh jeff parker's released some fantastic records uh last time john herndon was on we were talking about some stuff uh, that he did as a, a grape dope uh, you've mm-hmm. obviously been busy with other people, but as and uh, and now you've got beyond Brokeback this really uh, obvious sort of solo excursion. It's been interesting 
for me as a fan of Tortoise and as someone who gets to interview you guys and just even briefly talk about your process now that Tortoise is sort of geographically split up, it seems to me, if I recall correctly, each of you tend to come up with things on your own and then bring them to the group. And that's where that collaborative uh, spirit that you're describing really takes hold, right? Um is that about right? Like you're each bringing something to the proceeding or sharing a file for everyone else to chew on and contribute to and expand upon. Is that is that sort of accurate? That's the most I mean, and that's the most common way that we do it. But there are a variety of things that happen in Tortoise. The most common, though, is to have a really basic idea. I mean, things that I would call kernels, kernel, a kernel of an idea, and then allow the group process to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I gather that for sure. Where I was coming from, though, is in each solo excursion or record, I should say, that I hear now, I'm starting to hear your individual contributions to the whole of a tortoise song. They, they seem more clear to me. Does that make sense? I think you can see that. Yeah, I think it make I think it makes sense. Like when you there's sure. there's certain guitar figures here on this record that when they come in and the way they come in, the phrasing you choose brings me to tortoise. And I know that obviously the I can't help but have a bias. I know I know it's you. I know you're a part of that band. But I had mm-hmm. I have I've had similar experiences listening to a grape dope and and Jeff Parker's work in particular. I don't mean to discount Dan or John in this either, but I'm just saying those are fresh in my mind. And yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting to hear the whole separated and working on their own, like each of you working on your own things, and then hear those little glimmers of like, oh yeah, this could, I could totally see this being part of a tortoise song. And I don't have any grand point about this. It's probably pretty obvious that that would happen. But as a fan of that project and you guys individually, I just want you to know that that's something that occurs to me. I'm sure it occurs to lots of listeners. Like, oh, that's probably like I'm I'm listening to Doug's new record and I can see how that could be part of a tortoise song or why he would bring parts like that to tortoise songs. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. Yeah. One interesting thing that happens with Jeff and I is that for instance, like if we ever do interviews with guitar magazines or bass magazines, they'll ask us about things and I'll have to say, oh, well, Jeff played the bass on that. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff will have to say, oh, well, Doug played the guitar on that. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah. And it, that's where it gets funny. Yes. Because, yeah. If you, if you don't see Tortoise Live, you may not know what who's doing what I think is maybe a f- the best way to put that. Right. Cause I've had, I've had those when I would see you guys live uh, often in Ontario in particular, I think that's the only place. Yeah. I used to see you guys all the time in Ontario. If everything goes well, perhaps you'll come to Alberta someday. If you have, have you played in Alberta before? I'm sure you must have somewhere. You're in Edmonton, right? I'm in Edmonton. You probably played Calgary. Maybe we've played, we've played Edmonton too. Oh, good. Okay. So it's not out of the realm of and, possibility. And we have played Calgary. Yeah. 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 My point being, uh, I would have revelation seeing you guys. Like listening to the records and seeing the band live is, it can be quite jarring. Oh, that's not even John playing that drum part. Oh my God. I thought that was like, I, I pride myself on, uh, knowing people's, uh, musical voices. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, I'm sure there's some, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to put myself completely in this category because I think, as I say, <laughs> now that you're going, doing more solo stuff, I'm like, oh, that's, that must be what that, I bet Doug played that TNT part, uh, that part on that TNT song that I like now that I think about it. I didn't really think about it too much because it just felt like a whole, who knows who it is, you know what I mean? Anyway, I have no grand point well, here. The- there's another thing that happens, which is when we perform live, sometimes we have to cover each other's parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So there's no end to the confusion. Uh, really. And, and there's a, and there's a, there's a, there's a yet another thing that happened, for instance, on TNT songs we've been playing for, you know, 25 years now that we well, almost forgotten about that Jeff and I both, sort of consumed Dave Pajo's parts into our parts. Right, right. So Jeff will be playing some stuff that he played and simultaneously be playing some stuff that Pajo played. And I also will do some of that play. <laughs> stuff that stuff that I played, but also some of the stuff that Pajo played, you know, sometimes in, within the same song. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it, it's a it's a very fascinating family tree each song has a mm-hmm. has a few branches i uh really love this record and it, it the new yours i mean the new one and i did something yesterday last night actually that i hadn't done with it i usually just have had it on and i've been listening to it and i it takes me on a bit of a journey because i think you would agree it's a it's a very eclectic uh exploration of both uh noise and I guess groove and and these sorts of things, right? It I, I find mm-hmm. it I find it jarring and hypnotic. Last night I decided I would try to read a book while it was on, and I found it hard to do. I was too I, I oh, really? I'm not much of a I can't do it anymore. I used to listen to music while I read books, and then I over the years I discovered I was distracted by one thing or the other. I I, I my brain is not letting me multitask the way it did. But um, all this to say that was my experience last night. Uh, and I found it interesting because it, to me, it is quite a, a varied record in terms of sound. It starts off very noisy. I would, would you agree? E- e- yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you have a kind of idea of, uh, I gather most of this was rather improvised. I should say that right away. But did you have kind of a conceptual idea of where you wanted to go in presenting these? And just so people also re- realize, the whole record is three songs, uh, right? And two of them are quite long—twelve minutes, six, uh, twelve and eighteen minutes—and then there's a the, a shorter one in the middle there, "Green Crown Step." Yeah. that's around just under four minutes. Anyway, did you have yeah. a sort of articulated concept of where you wanted to take uh, this particular record before you, uh, you know, began? Well, when this idea to make this record was presented to me. I had, like over the last two years or so, had have had a few solo performances mm-hmm. that I thought were pretty close to what I wanted them to be, and they were ninety five percent improvised. And something I've been forcing myself to get better at, or pushing myself into an uncomfortable place by doing these improvised gigs. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of decided I would structure the record like one of those gigs and then incorporate a few reoccurring themes that I had sitting around and sort of 
put it together as a sketchbook, kind of. I see. So it kind of like, especially those long tunes, they move through a few different ideas that are partially improvised and partially sort of reoccurring themes that I've had happening or going through my head over the last couple of years. And that's essentially the whole thing. I mean, the shorter acoustic guitar piece was for a different texture and it was almost an afterthought, but it was like, I wanted a different texture on the record and I wanted something completely improvised. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, I, I think that's where I was kind of clumsily trying to describe it as, as a pretty uh, interesting journey, like through the, it's 34 minutes, three songs, 34 minutes, and it does have movements. Uh, it does yeah. have sort of a, a, a pacing to it. And I think that's why I was just, no offense to the book I was reading, but I was like, I kind of just want to listen to this music. I, I it's, oh, well, it's, it's, pull, it's pulling me out of this book and I, I may have to actually reread the chapters I was reading last night because I don't think I actually, I'm getting in this place. I, I was talking to Bill Nace about this recently, about his new record. And I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm just like, if it's, you know, sometimes you've got music on and it's sort of while you're cooking or while you're driving and you're kind right. of doing a couple of things at once. And where I'm coming from right now is this music, Bill's record and your record are both uh, instrumental, uh, I guess, guitar-oriented sort of records. And and they are explorations of sound and noise and texture. And I think I'm actually getting lost in them more um, than I usually do, which... I'm just telling you how I feel, Doug. This has nothing to That's do. That's great. Yeah, I, 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 I am liking it. I'm not upset about it. I'm not worried about it. I'm just like I can't do anything but listen to this right now. Is how I'm feeling, and I hope anyone who picks it up does the same because I, I just think it's a, a re, it's a, it's a more rewarding if it. What I, I guess, what I'm saying is what I discovered last night is this is a very rewarding deep listen as opposed to I'm going to cut some onions. While this record yeah. is playing, you know what I'm saying? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I mean, <laughs> I I have to say for the record, I don't think I've ever thought it possible to listen to a record and read a book. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do listen to music and cook or listen to music while I drive, but read a book, no. Yeah. I, Impo I Impossible. Yeah. It could be why I didn't do so well in school. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is the problem. I, I realize it now. I don't often do it anymore. The, the reason I bring this up is I did it twice this week because I, had, uh, as I'm speaking to you, Doug, uh, don't be envious or jealous. I have another interview to do today. I usually have two interviews to do in a day and I've been kind of, and I wanted to read this book that I got because I was really excited about the book. And then, uh, yeah, I just was like trying to cram it all in just before bedtime. This is all at bedtime, by the way. I, I, this is what I do. Anyway, I found in both instances, like, I'm not doing either one justice. The, the, I'm missing out on the book. I'm not paying enough yeah. attention to the music. And last night was the first time. Th and this is a reason. I don't have music. My wife and I read our books together. And when I don't have music playing, it's rude. <laughs> we don't have video yeah. on our phones playing. It's rude. One of We're reading, and it's quiet, and we read, and we're trying to wind down. But I had music playing, and uh, I'm saying it was an epiphany for me. You're right. I can't do it. I think yep. I, I maybe yep. I never could do it, but it felt particularly foreign to me um, last night. Is all I'm getting at. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Uh, it is one. Also, I would like to add that I just played a gig with 
Bill Nace oh. last week, and it was my first time playing with him, and it was great. Oh, lovely. It was super good. I, I had never spoken to him uh, until we had occasion to recently, and it was lovely. Really, really generous laugher. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> very fun and funny. And, uh, we had, a, I think we had a good time. Uh, I've heard from others that they were like, wow, Bill doesn't, but someone was like, I don't think he's ever been on a podcast before. So I felt particularly honored that we had the occasion to do it, but I just, I, I'm glad you had this, uh, did you, do you know Bill beyond that? Did you know Bill well, or? Um, I had met him one time before, yeah. but, uh, he plays on this new record that I play on and, that's most of the touring I've been doing recently is with this this guitar player Chris Forsyth, hmm. and um, Bill plays on the record, and uh, I play on the record. And so for our Philly show, he came and sat in with the group on one song. Oh, cool, nice. Oh, so you actually collaborated? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 right up your alley. Collaborating like that. <laughs> no, that's great. So, do you have a sense of what's next? For you, uh, on your own, I, we've alluded a few times now to Tortoise's uh, attempts at activity. Um, also, uh, not to keep uh, plugging my own show, I mean, I had uh, some folks from uh, uh, your other band there, 11th Dream Day, on to talk about your... Congratulations on that record as well. That's Thank that, you. Yeah. So just you seem very busy. Do you have upcoming plans you want to talk about in terms of your own stuff or anything else that's coming up? Well, I have a few solo gigs coming up in Chicago and a Brokeback gig. Brokeback is going to be writing. Tortoise is going to continue writing. And Tortoise has some makeup shows for some shows we had to cancel coming up in March. Mm -hmm. And most of the touring I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future is with uh, Chris, Chris Forsyth. Oh, okay. We just finished uh, an East Coast sort of Midwest run and we're going to do a west coast thing in march also um and notably on that too i um was also playing bass with meg baird Hmm. and that has been like an incredibly great experience also meg is meg is amazing oh nice that's great so yeah in march i'll be doing forsyth meg baird and some tortoise touring, and that's the only thing I have on the books now. Okay. And just continuing to continuing to try to um, get some of these uh, some of this material written and recorded. Sorry, which material? Uh, the broke back and the tortoise. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Uh, and eleventh dream day. Like so, Rick and Jana were on the show to talk about eleventh dream day. That's that just sort of comes when it comes. Uh, you 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 get a call or something. That, hey, we want to try something. Yeah, that comes when it comes. I mean, we see each other all the time, but we don't operate as a full-time yeah, band, really. Right. And so when we do release an 11th Dream Day record, we usually play a handful of shows and then and then sort of let it drift off until someone says, hey, do you want to play this show or that show I or see. something? You know? yeah. Um, yeah. Another frequent guest on, on this particular show that I uh, make, uh, and it's not Dan Bitney yet, Bill McKay, Bill McKay, and oh, yeah. Charles Rumbach. Is that uh, yeah? I f- yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an important that's an important thing I have coming up too. Um, I'm really super excited about this record that we made. 
the band or the project, I should say, or the trio. Let's call it a trio. The trio is called Black Duck. Yeah. And and what's the what's the status of of this record? And, uh, and do you want to say anything about this uh, trio? What's the nature of the band? Well, we've been playing together for quite a while. I would say four or five years now as a trio. And our initial idea was let's have an improvising trio, two guitars and drums. And that way we don't have to have a rehearsal schedule or anything. And then if people offer us gigs, we can play them. Mm -hmm. And we operated on that for a few years, um, thinking that when, when the time was right to record, we would know. And that time came right before the pandemic. So we didn't record. Hmm. We waited until we were all vaccinated. And then that's the first thing we did was made this new album of Black Duck. And it's supposed to be coming out in, uh, uh, I guess, late spring. Okay. Possibly. Is there a label um, for that? or? Yeah, it's going to be. It's, uh, it's on Thrill Jockey. It's in production. Oh, nice. We don't know for sure. We haven't found, like, or I haven't heard yet whether there's going a specific release date because it's kind of based on vinyl production yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, um, but it's, it's really exciting. The record was, the record turned out, I think better than any of us thought it could. It's really, really exciting. And, um, we recorded it with John Hughes, the third, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but he's a recording engineer here in Chicago that's done lots of great work, and he's he did an amazing job on the record. He, um, he is uh, he is he not related to the director John Hughes? He is the son of the director John Hughes. He's the son of the yes. director John Hughes, and I was he not involved in the Reach the Rock soundtrack that John McIntyre was? I'm going back to the yeah. '90s here in my brain. Sorry if I'm getting anything wrong here, but I think that's what it's called. Reach the Rock is that right? Yeah. yeah. John, uh, John Hughes III was the, I don't know what the official Hollywood term for it would be, but he was the musical yeah. director for that film and recruited a bunch of local Chicago people to write music for it. And the original score is by John McIntyre, but then there's a few songs by other groups in there too, local Chicago right. groups. Yeah, I had I had that sound. So this, I think this came out in the mid to late 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had it on the compact disc. I remember liking it a lot and being intrigued by the John Hughes connection. And weirdly, I have a I had a guest on recently, Ezra Furman, uh, who has a song on her new record called Ali Sheedy and the Breakfast Club. So I rewatched <laughs> The Breakfast Club uh, last Friday, as we're speaking, last Friday night, I just decided uh, to watch it again, uh, as I uh-huh. tended. Well, anyway, John Hughes is in it. I didn't even realize that he has, he plays Anthony yeah. Michael Hall's, uh, father, uh, picks yeah. him up at the end. It's like a little Hitchcockian cameo, uncredited cameo. Anyway, so John Hughes is just on my mind, uh, these days. And, uh, that's weird. Everything's weird to me. The coincidences and people bringing stuff up. It's weird. So I have that's... a great breakfast. <laughs> I have a great breakfast club story. Oh, let's hear that. This is amazing. So. I went to see The Breakfast Club with my girlfriend in like 1982 or whenever that came out. Mm-hmm. And the movie comes on and I'm wearing 
exactly the same clothes that Judd Nelson is wearing in the movie. <laughs> you were Bender. You were you were the you were your yeah. town's Bender. I get it. Okay. <laughs> I had on like I had on like engineer boots and like army pants and like a flannel shirt, probably with like a Bauhaus T-shirt on under it or something. And uh-huh. then like, um, yeah. And I was walking out of the movie theater. I was just trying to get out there, get out of there as fast as I could because I felt, I felt really conspicuous. <laughs> you, you, you worried people thought you were doing some sort of breakfast club cosplay and you had to, I mean, I probably had like, I probably had like a similar, a similar haircut too or something, you know? Like, oh yeah. No, he was a, he's probably the, for better or worse, the most compelling character. It was a good conversation about the breakfast club. I said some, I thought, cause I said some things in the moment with Ezra where I'm like, it's, that's a weird movie. Everyone is kind of the villain at one point. And yeah. like, it's weird. I, I've, I can't think of too many movies where you don't know who to root for because they're each equally great or you sympathetic anyway, but they're all also so flawed. It was, it's quite, int- and, and they each speak to a different kind of, uh, demographic, like in terms of, yeah. that was the whole point, right? This motley crew. Anyway, it's, yeah, it was, there's some certainly hasn't aged. Some things haven't aged well, but it was fun to rewatch. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. Hey, I have a one yeah. I, before we wrap up though, Doug, I, I just thought of something because I can hear my, li- some of my listeners screaming at me that I didn't follow up with you about this. You were talking in, about this. John Convertino talked to you about this app and this device. Mm-hmm. And we, I appreciate your, uh, uh, unwillingness to give some free sponsorship plugs. To this company or this this thing, but shouldn't we tell people what it was? Do you know the name of what you were using, just so they can be like, "Oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to record that." I'm I'm also being selfish because I have a drum kit set up and I've been thinking about how to record things. So I'm just curious. Yeah, it's I have I have no qualms about sharing the information. Okay, it's called Spire. Spire. Okay. S P I R E. Yep. And and so you're saying it's not just an app on your phone, you have to get some sort of apparatus? Well, here's the thing. It's it's an app on your phone that you can just record. You can record stuff using the mic on your phone. Yeah. But then if you get this interface that connects to your phone via Wi-Fi, um you can multi-track. So it right. becomes right. A, it becomes a little recording studio and you can you can plug mics into the interface or you can plug instruments directly into the interface hmm. or you can there's actually a mic built into the interface too so you can hmm. there's a variety of ways you can use it to record stuff and um for me it's been extremely handy because i am the least tech savvy person <laughs> that you could ever imagine it's well it's, it's super 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 easy and it's so easy that it takes it takes some of the control out of your hands. I see. So it does stuff like it, it doesn't allow you to set your own EQs or your own levels. It does a little sound check with you and then it just sets everything for you. So it's like, wow. Okay. It, so it's like, it's good and bad because you yeah. can't, you don't have a ton of control over like what you're inputting. Yeah. Although you could, you could potentially do a sound check and then, play louder after the sound check if you wanted to drive the thing harder or something but ah. like whatever you know it's it's just been handy for me because i needed i need all those things to be taken out of my hands i, I imagine you could also manipulate the recording afterwards in some ways oh yeah for sure then yeah. you can just you can take yeah. those 
I've contributed to many people's recordings using this thing. I and see. What they would normally do, you can just, you know, email them the tracks. Then they can use, they can, they can manipulate the tracks any way, any way they want to in their own programs, huh. you know, like whatever, Pro Tools and that kind of stuff. Well, listen, I appreciate the information. Sorry I didn't follow up. I hope anyone who is cursing me is feeling appeased now that I actually dug a bit deeper. So thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. Um, I I would imagine that people can learn the most about you and your new record at thrilljockey.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like to direct people to learn more about you, follow you on whatever social media platforms still exist by the time this airs? I mean, I have I I have an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. It's um, V T H E E Real McCombs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that's your main that's your main thing is Instagram. That's the only social media. I have. Okay. Well, you're good on there. I like you on there. You you do good work. Oh. Thank you for Thanks. your contributions to the social media fabric of our times. No, that's good. So people Thanks. should follow you. I'll link to that stuff on. Uh, in the podcast description as well. So yeah, please follow Doug there. Um, Doug, if we can go out, so this is interesting. I usually ask people if we can go out on a, a, a song or a piece from their new record. I will tell you, cause I can already imagine you're like, well, he probably doesn't want one of the long ones. Happy to play whatever you want. If you're willing to share uh, a song with uh, the people listening uh, from this new record, uh, is there any one of them that you'd like to go out on right now? I mean, my favorite moment, on this record is the the last five minutes of that first tune. Hmm. But in the interest of brevity, you could, you could just play the green crowns step. Well, what I was trying to, I appreciate everything you're saying. What I was trying to convey to you is it's a podcast. Brevity is not necessarily what people come to a podcast for. We're already uh-huh. long here. If you wanted to go long, we can, that's all I wanted to say. But at the same time, happy to go with the, Something of an anomaly on the record of if it's possible to have an anomaly on three a three song record, we can go out on Green Crown's step. There's nothing wrong with that. Is that what you'd like to do? Yes. Okay. Then let's do that. Is there anything you want to say about it beyond what you said earlier about it being a an improvised and a, a acoustic piece? No, there's nothing I want to say about it. What about the title? I know in, uh, we uh, had many conversations with uh, your peers and Tortoise, and I think pro- possibly with you as well about the naming conventions of instrumental music i don't know if you remember this you were on with john mcintyre i did a little documentary on uh what's that record? the last tortoise record the catastrophist oh, is that what it's called the cata- catastrophist thank yeah. you anyway we talked about how uh, tortoise song names often come about due to uh design deadlines uh-oh the album arts <laughs> do we better name these songs uh I remember that distinctly, and unless I'm misremembering it. Anyway, is there any is there any uh, significance to Green Crown Step as a title? Um, I mean, I think I'd just rather leave it open. Okay, Fair. it's significant to me, but I, you know, it's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> Appreciate that. Still enigmatic, yeah. uh, as enigmatic as the title. Okay, from the new record, which I will pronounce right now, uh, as I did earlier, as V Mac Combs. Douglas 6NDR7 by Douglas Andrew McCombs. Here's a beautiful song. It's the second track of the three on the record. It's called Green Crown's Step. 
Doug, I, I'm a tremendous uh, admirer and fan of yours. It means a lot to me that you uh, continue to make time for me in your life to have conversations. So thank you so much for this. I hope you enjoyed it, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. It's always a pleasure, man. I hope to see you in person sometime soon.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was very fun. Very special to have Doug Douglas. Douglas McCombs. I know him as Doug. Sorry. It was informal. Nice to have Douglas McCombs back on the show, this time for the 736th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode uh, that you're looking for, you've heard about it and it's not on your favorite uh, platform, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook. As it stands, you can follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation, uh, which is the primary source of revenue for this podcast and all the work I put into it. Uh, $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. You get the episodes early. As you heard me and Doug discuss, I dug up, no pun intended, uh, our 2010 conversation that we had on my co- for my college radio show that I used to have with my wife, and I, I uh, po- posted it. I posted it on Patreon. By request, somebody asked for it. I found it. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I don't know how I fare. <laughs> but anyway, if you're a Patreon supporter at uh, $6 or, or more a month American, then you can access that and a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, everyone else doesn't get. So there's those incentives and gifts, I suppose. If you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, then message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. Thank you for supporting this show with your financial donations. It means a lot. Thanks again also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. My sister and her family are visiting my parents in Ontario. Now, wouldn't you know it, she, she texts me and says... Hey, I uh, might go to the donut place. I go, okay. Yeah, they're angling for the donuts. So I, uh, they got the donuts. They got the in-kind sponsor. I don't get the donuts anymore. I miss the donuts. Sorry, I just am ranting and raving. Good for my sister. Anyway, thanks to all those places for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with uh, Douglas McCombs and for checking out his new record at uh, thrilljockey.com. As I'm looking at the site, there's only a a handful of compact discs left. I don't think they've pressed this thing on vinyl at all. So go check that out. Thank you for listening to this episode, as I say, and for subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends about it and spreading the word about it. 
Uh, All of that is so important. So thank you so much for being you. I will talk to you very soon. Be well. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.